0: All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 18, a lot of verses this morning, a lot of these verses are uh, verses that explain the previous verse or the verse to follow, Uh, looking at a particular subject this morning, and as we look at this text, I want us to consider this Theme that has appeared in a number of these different uh, expositions together, and consider the subject this morning of counted worthy in well doing. Counted worthy in well doing. In these chapters, in verses 6 through really the end of this chapter and the end of this epistle, Paul finishes this letter dealing with a particular fault or a problem that had arisen in the congregation. Uh, he has not said much in these two letters about any issues as far as problems among the people, problems together. But for, for this particular reason, he deals with a subject um, that I think is oftentimes overlooked and maybe isn't considered in a lot of our uh, Bible teaching. There were people within the church there, among the Thessalonians, who had become, for lack of a better word, and you'll see the words that he uses here, had become, quite frankly, had become lazy, uh, living, idle lives. Um, They were people within the congregation who would not work at a trade or they would not work at a job. They were simply uh, living off the labor of others. It's not something we, a subject we often think about. It's not a subject we often deal with in our churches, but Paul connects these lazy, idle lives and not working when they were capable of working. He considers it to be to walk disorderly. Uh, This is a verse that, uh, especially verse number six, uh, that phrase, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Uh, I think over the years that I've been associated with churches and Christianity, I have heard that one uh, misapplied, uh, misconstrued, probably more than any other. Um, I've heard it used in when someone doesn't act the way they should, that you should withdraw yourselves, don't have anything to do with them. I have heard this verse used in the context of uh, even withdrawing yourselves from your own spouse. Um, uh, and I'm not even going to go into all the details about how wrong that was and if I was to tell you you would see the travesty of why that was the case but there is a warning here and this warning is against idleness this warning is against uh, being lazy Uh, a warning against uh, being idle and this well-doing that Paul has in the context here, you will see he does not leave the context of this disorderly walk. He doesn't leave the, con- the context of uh, not working. In other words, you can see this is what he's talking about. So don't read into the text as he's talking about some other thing. He's talking about idleness. He uses terminology like being bi- busybodies. He uses terminology uh, about uh, not eating a man's bread that was wrought with their own labor. I'm not going to be charged with he's, it. This context is about idleness. So being true to the text, we want to understand that's what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about a disorderly walk of someone not doing what I wanted them to do. It's in the context of this. And you'll notice here that this warning in verses 6 through 12, Paul gives a warning, a word of warning to those who will not work. Plain and simple, verses 6 through 12 is about people who will not work. And again, he's not talking about people who are incapable of working. He's talking about people who are able and will not. In verses 13 through 15, Paul gives a word of caution to those who grow weary in well-doing. So it's kind of broke up in a natural outline here. And then in the final exhortation is verses 16 through 18, Paul's word of exhortation and prayer for the brethren. So let's kind of dig into these these headings, if you will. Paul's word of warning to those who will not work, verses 6 through 12. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now notice Paul uses the terminology, very strong language here. He says, Now we command you, brethren. Uh, brethren, of course, is a reference to those who are in the faith, those who are in Christ. And he says, and he says, We command you in the name of. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime we have to deal with brethren, it is a delicate subject. Uh, Anytime we have to deal with one another and a possibility of talking to another individual who's in the faith about a disorderly action or a disorderly walk ought to be treated delicately. Uh, It should not be something that we come in with uh, an arrogant hammer and we say, this is what you need to do. It's a delicate subject. And I don't believe Paul is writing this with a a mean spirit. He's not writing this with a, I'm the boss, do what I say. But he is saying, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because this is a biblical truth. And again, uh, we're going to see Paul is not talking about withdrawing away from those who are truly in need. Uh, we live in a needy society. There are people every one of us know who are actually in general they are in uh, real need. It, it's not because they're lazy, it's not because they're idle. it's It is a real need. And we know that scripturally we are to be generous with the earthly goods that God gives to us. and Paul is in no way shape or form saying, He's not saying say no to those who are truly needy and those that are truly hungry. But he is saying you should withdraw from those individuals who are very capable of taking care of themselves, but refuse to do it. He said this command is of the Lord. So if a man who's called a brother, brethren, is walking disorderly. To walk disorderly is not a snapshot in time. It's The manner of life. Uh, Because let's give you an example. An example would be even in their day and age, a man may have been temporarily out of work. He may have temporarily not been able to provide for himself. Paul's not talking about a person who finds himself without the ability to provide, without the ability to take care, or being temporarily out of work. Paul is referring to people who it is their manner of life. And I'm not not here to say that, but we all know situations like this. This is not a matter of temporary. This has been their manner of life for an extended period of time. Now again, he's talking about brothers. He's talking about those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is one who continues in that manner of life, that manner of life that is marked by laziness and idleness. Um. As a young person, uh, I was extremely lazy. Lazy about things I didn't want to do. Very lazy. Lots of idle time. M- much, much, much to idle time. And those things, those situations, laziness and idle time brings us to a place where nothing ever really good comes out of those things. But Paul... The the command is very serious here. He says that you withdraw yourselves from a person who walks this way. Now this is tough. Now again, I told you I've heard this out of context from a whole different spectrum. But this is tough because Paul is saying those people who are marked by laziness and idleness, you need to withdraw yourselves from that type of person. Now we as believers, we often think it ought to be the last uh, a last thing on our mind to want to withdraw from another brother or sister in Christ. But yet, Paul is very direct about this, and we know the context is true because he keeps talking about this subject. Withdraw yourselves from him. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, because you were not, look what he says, every brother that walketh disorderly and not after tradition which he received of us. Paul says this he didn't learn that manner of life from us, and he didn't learn that manner of life from Scripture. So what is he actually doing? He's walking contrary to the apostles' doctrine, or more specifically, walking contrary to the word of God. There are very few people who would consider sin and, uh, uh, laziness and idleness sinful. And actually, scripturally, it is. You study at the book of Proverbs, you'll find that even in Proverbs, Solomon was writing about the reality that laziness and idleness is sinful behavior. Now, he's not talking about times of rest. Everybody needs that. He's not talking about a snapshot in time. He's talking about a manner of life. And again, all of us, sadly, either have been that or we know someone maybe who was or maybe even someone who is. Verse 7, for, your, for, you, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. Now Paul gives himself as an example here, not of perfection, but of living a life that is not marked by laziness and idleness. Paul's going to lead this conversation into a description of his own work, what he does with his own hands. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Here's where Paul connects disorderly walk with lack of work or ties it to laziness and idleness. The context flows naturally through this text. Now, Paul often as an apostle had to deal with this accusation against him. Paul often had to deal with the fact that he had every right and had it within his power to be supported and taken care of by the churches in which he was ministering to. But there were times where the Apostle Paul said, I will not take any support from you because I don't want to become a stumbling block. However, Paul also, in the context of support that he would receive from the church, he was also known for laboring on his own. And we know that Paul was known for what? He was known for being a tent maker. He made tents. He labored among them, of course, preaching and teaching the word, but he also labored with his hands. In the very first letter, of the first Thessalonians chapter two verse number nine, Paul said, "For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel." Of God. Paul sets the, uh, the foundation or the context of working, laboring with his hands. Uh, in the, the church at Ephesus, back in the book of Acts, we read an account here in Acts chapter number 18, verse number 3. Acts 18, uh, verse number 3. Uh, it says, And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. Of course, that's also a reference as to what Paul was. Paul was not an idle man. Paul was not a lazy man. He was always busy about the work that God gave him to do. Some people have this idea that Paul just preached 24 hours a day. Paul was also laboring making tents. You know, it's, it's not an uncommon thing that I hear people, people in, who, who talk about. Um, ministry, and, they, you know, they'll say things like, you know, I, I just wish I could uh, be a full-time pastor or a full-time this so I could talk about and do Scripture all day long and preach all day long. Nobody's doing that. There's other labor that's going on. There's other things that are happening. And the reality that Paul's talking about, Paul, as a tent maker, Paul was laboring there's a, there's a there's a lesson to be learned here. You know, it's, work is important, folks. Not being idle is important. Not being lazy is important. You know, and I, again, I don't, I don't like to get too much into what's going on today, but I'm telling you, everything that is being fed to us as a generation is promoting idleness and laziness. We are, this is a more entertainment-driven society than we've ever seen before. And I'm telling you, this pandemic didn't help. Because, and people are even being incented to not work. They're being paid more to stay home. And I, I realize this is, these are difficult times. But even if you're not paid, you shouldn't be lazy and you shouldn't be idle. Work for free if you have to. I know that's an unthought of thing. Work for free. And again, Paul didn't apologize when he took support from churches. And he said he, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 14, he gives an entire uh, background on contextually why it's right that those who minister of the gospel should be supported in the gospel. So Paul's not saying that there shouldn't be pay for these things, but he is saying don't be idle, don't be lazy. And those who are, withdraw from them. That's disorderly conduct. Verse number eight, Paul says, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. It's an interesting phrase. In other words, Paul was saying, even in our modern terms, he's saying we didn't eat food that we didn't pay for. We paid for it. We paid for it with the money that we earned. We know the Bible teaches that ministers of the gospel are to study, they're to pray, they're to labor. Paul labored in the word, but Paul also labored with his hands. They live by the gospel, they're supported by the church. However, Paul, to set an example for the Thessalonians, and discouraging any laziness among them, Paul would labor everywhere he went to be an example. Folks, sometimes... Our not being lazy and not being idle serves as a great reminder of how things ought to be. Our very purpose for laboring could simply be to be an example of what the Bible teaches about these things. You know, oftentimes, I I, I think a lot of times children are grown up, they're, 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 they're raised up and they watch parents who hate the idea of jobs and they hate the ideas of labor. And I, I'm just telling you, I know this is a little bit different for me today, but that, that, that brings us into this place that makes it look like job is a bad thing. That labor is a bad thing. And that, oh, I'd rather be lazy, I'd rather be idle. That's so much easier. Of course it's easier. But the labor and the, the idleness, they're, they're two contrasting things. Paul was known for laboring with his hands. So he's writing not as a person saying this is the way it should be. He's writing because he's saying this is the way that it is. He says, we, didn't, we did not eat, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Paul actually says, in order to prove this point, we didn't take any remuneration from you so that we could prove the importance of not being lazy and not being idle. We refuse to be chargeable to you. We refuse to take anything from you, yet we set you an example that you could follow. Verse 9, he says, Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Paul writes very clearly, he says, well, I'm not telling you this just because we have the power to tell you this. I'm telling you this so that we might be an example to follow because it's biblical. It's right. He's repeating basically what he's already told them. He's he's continuing to say the same thing. He's just using different characteristics of what this this disorderly walk is and what a walk of a believer should look like. Again, now here's the connection to the command that he mentions in verse 6. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you. Remember, Paul's now writing to them, and he's not with them anymore. He's writing back, and he says, remember, when we were with you, we had the same command. Don't walk disorderly. That if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? If that disorderly brother, if he will not work, he should not eat, even off of your very table. Now, I'm saying these words, but I'm asking us the question, do you know how hard this would be to actually apply this? To know you had a brother or sister walking disorderly who's walking that way in full rebellion because that's what they want to do. And yet the Bible says biblically the way you're supposed to deal with them is you're supposed to withdraw from them and they're not even supposed to eat at your table. Now I know what happens in human relationships. But this is so and so. This is my relative. This is my. Paul's not making distinctions here. He's saying a disorderly walk is a walk of laziness and idleness. Now, Paul's not talking about a hypothetical situation here. Look at verse number 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. And here's how we know that disorderly is connected to what he said in verse 6. Working not at all. So that, there's what teaches us what the true context is. Now we know that the disorderly walk, if we didn't know already, Paul directly connects it in verse number 11 that to walk disorderly is to walk by not working. Now, if you're anything like me, I heard this passage preached so many times, not once over the years did I ever hear it preached that way. It was always about somebody not doing what I wanted them to do. I heard it used in husband relationship, husband-wife husband relationships. I heard it used in every other relationship except what he was actually talking about. He's talking about working. He's talking about labor. He's talking about idleness. I know it's not really a big theologic. I mean, we went from this morning talking about Christ the mediator, this great, large theological that left us with questions, and now we're talking about a very practical thing. To walk disorderly is to be lazy and idle. you just don't hear very much about it. And 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 in this great two epistles of, of Thessalonians, Paul has been dealing with these large great theological truths. He's been remember he talked he had just not long before spoken about the end times. And it's like it's almost like as an addendum at the end of the letter, he says, "By the way, it's been reported that some of you are working or rather you're not working. It's kind of like a, one of those corrective letters, almost like he was finishing the letter and the Holy Spirit of God moved him to say, by the way, you need to put your finger on a problem that they're having in with the Thessalonians. Some won't work. They won't work and they're expecting to be fed. They're expecting to be taken care of. Now notice he makes a connection between a disorderly walk and what they're spending their time doing. Another big theological word, busybodies. Busybodies. <laughs> That's what you don't expect to find in your doctoral study. Do a busybody. A busybody is a person who doesn't isn't doing what they're supposed to do, so they find themselves meddling in the affairs of everybody else. Don't raise your hand, but how many even you know a busybody? We all know one or two. Their entire life is being involved in somebody else. Almost every time, busybodies are also lazy and idle. You see, work keeps you helps keep you from being in those situations where you've got time to meddle in other people's lives. Paul is just simply repeating, again, what he taught them in person. If a person won't work, who's able to work, then don't let him share in your food. Turn him away from your table. Verse 11, those who don't work with their hands and their minds usually spend their idle time working their tongues, one commentator said. You may be very lazy with your hands, but your tongue will be working overtime speaking lots of things that shouldn't be speaking. That's a busybody. Why? They have nothing else better to do. Time is spent, and in this context, I believe he had the context of the church in mind, their time is spent interfering and meddling in the lives of those Church, of that church, the members of that church. If you've never seen this on display, it's a frightening sight. If you've ever been involved in a church that is idle and filled with busybodies, it's frightening. You can see it. It's evidenced. I've, I've had pastors tell me about this. I've had pastors tell me about situations where the idleness and the laziness led to this this. Gossip explosion within the church because they had nothing better to do. If God says it, I'm going to believe it, that this, this is actually a real problem. I mean, think about this. Of all the things God could have left us to talk about, He left us this practical application about not being lazy. Now, Paul doesn't just give the problem without giving them a solution. He says, now them that are such, who's he talking about contextually? Those who walk disorderly, those who won't work, those who are relying on others to take care of their needs. They're not truly needy, they're not truly hungry. That's because they refuse to work. He said, them that are such, or in that way, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. What struck me when I was reading this again this morning is Paul does not tell them to go correct them. What he told them was what? First of all, withdrawal. The second part of it, he commands the disorderly to do right. Oftentimes, another practical piece here, when we see someone walking wrongly in something, we often think we're the, we're the fix. They are, they are subject to the commands of God. So if, if we followed the principle here and said, okay, look, if, we're, if, we, if we who are not walking disorderly are going to be obedient, we're working, we're not idle, we're not lazy. If we follow the obedience of what God tells us to do, we withdraw ourselves from those who are lazy and idle. We, we follow the biblical pattern. We've done our part. So what is their responsibility? Paul gives it right there. With quietness, they work. Paul doesn't even give them an alt. Ulti- he doesn't give them any options. He said the only way you can be removed from walking disorderly is to work. Folks, you realize there are, there are more ways today that you can get around in our society to get around work than ever before and still get something for it. There are rich Listen to me. There are rich, lazy, idle people. And you say, what's wrong with that? I'm taking... You're not working. So I don't agree with that. That's okay. We don't have to agree on that. I'm just giving you my opinion on that aspect of that. Idleness is... It's not just about do I have enough money. There are very, very rich people who become idle and they become idle and lazy. Paul's not talking about how much money you have. He's talking about the biblical principle. God's not saying just work to make money. He's, he's saying work because this is what I've commanded you to do. It's, it's, this, is a, this is one of those tough ones. This is one of those tough subjects to deal with because it, I think to me, at least for me, it really hits, hits in the practicality department. I mean, there's sometimes, we can read Scripture, we can say, well, that was that, that, was that society's issue. This is, this is crossing every generation. So Paul says that here's what you should do, withdraw from them, here's what they should do, they should, with quietness, they work and eat their own bread. But then Paul switches back To what the person who is walking right should do, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well doing. So he makes a connection between what I've commanded you to do and what they're doing, and well doing. But also, don't let this be a a a means of that you ignore people who truly are in need. Look what he says in verse. Look what he says. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. This is strong terminology, but being handled delicately. Paul corrects both the faults He's correcting the faults of those who are walking and not walking that way. He exhorts those people that are walking disorderly to cultivate a spirit of quietness, a spirit of peace. In other words, be content where you are. Be content with what you have. Work and labor honorably. I think one of, the, one of the hardest things for me as a, as a young person growing up and then getting older is realizing that I was lazy even in the face of especially a father who taught me that work is honorable. And yet I was still lazy. Like my father never sent the message across that working is a chore. Working is a, is a drag. And he didn't always like his jobs, but he went and he taught me that it was honorable. And I still looked at it and said, I'd rather be lazy and do nothing. And I'm telling you, you still have to guard against that even when you get older. This isn't just a young person problem. And again, I'm probably stepping out of bounds today, but you've got 40-year-old people who should have long been taking care of themselves who are idle and lazy because somebody's enabling them to be that way. And sometimes it's a parent that's enabling that child who's an adult now to act that way. So I can't put them out. (laughs) You're doing more harm than you are help. Again, these aren't my words. This is Paul saying "Withdraw from them. Work is honorable. Work in an honorable profession. Do something honorably. God has gifted every person with the ability to do something. Make a contribution in the labor and the, and the life that you live. Say, so I don't have any skills. Everybody has skills to work. You may not like it, but we all have, and I, I believe that everything I am, If unless you're working in a, some kind of a sinful profession, all labor is honorable. Eat your own bread, which is earned by your own labor and bought with your own money. Rejoice, thank God that you have it. Thank God that you have what you have. Be content with what you have. Paul says, brethren, be not weary. Don't lose sight of well-doing. But he also says, look, look at verse 15. Again, we read the harshness, but then we see how Paul says, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now think about that for a moment. We're being told to withdraw from somebody, but yet don't treat them like an enemy. Admonish them like they're your brother. Can I just be honest with you? That's really hard to do. It's really hard to say, I have to withdraw from you, and then that person accepting your admonitions in love. So that's the hardest thing. one of the hardest things you're ever going to do. Because that person's going to immediately say, you must not really care for me. You withdrew yourself from me. It's all in how you handle it. That's why Paul says, and he does this delicately. I told you I've heard this preached so many times, wrongly. Most times I heard it wrongly. It was some guy up here spitting and shouting and yelling and pointing his finger at people. That's not how Paul's handling this. Paul was saying this is a serious matter, but I want you to understand, handle this delicately. Handle it in a way that's honorable, that's godly, that's biblical. So, Paul gives this word of caution. And I think that word of caution and part of it we need to understand is don't ever grow weary of doing good and doing well to all people, especially the brethren. But don't give off, give, don't put away giving genuine help to people who need it. Don't be discouraged. Or weary of giving to the needy and feeding the hungry just because there are people who have taken advantage of you. Folks, can I just tell you from life experience, this is real. Some of you know that a number of times in ministry between here and New Hampshire, I had the wool pulled over my eyes, given to somebody who was needy, only to find out they ripped us off. And I'll tell you that I failed in this. I, I, I came to a place where I said, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm never giving to anybody else in need again because I can't trust them. Paul's don't do that. But I, they ripped me off. And, and by the way, they did this in the name of Jesus, right? Oh, we're believers like you. We're so-and-so here. We're so-and-so here. They took advantage of a, give, a willing to give. Don't grow weary and continuing to give to those who need it. And this will happen. Get ripped off one time from somebody who claimed to be in need and find out they didn't need it at all. They were just using it as a prophet. You've got to guard against this. These, these things actually do happen. It's amazing to me that, that Paul is writing so many years ago, and yet it's still today. Paul declares if anyone refuses to obey what he's declared, single that person out, don't keep company with them, but understand to admonish him like a brother. Why? So that he may be ashamed. In other words, he realizes what his actions have caused. The only way I ever got up off of the couch and stopped being lazy is when I realized it was a shameful thing. It's shameful. And I tell young people, I tell young people today, there are things I don't know how to do today that had I just not been so lazy and idle, I had people all around me who, my father especially, who wanted to go teach me something. I didn't have time for that. I was too, too busy being lazy. But now I don't know how to do it. He was, he, he was going to show me how to do that Personally. Now he's been with the Lord since 1995. I don't have that opportunity anymore. I don't pick up the phone and say, hey, can you show me what I didn't want to do when I was 13 years old, 14 years old, and even younger? When it was more important to be in front of a video game? Yeah, they had video games when I was a kid too. They were just a lot different. That was more important. TV's more important. TV, what do you mean go learn how to work on a car? What do learn how to fix a car? I would have loved to know how to do that now. Now I've got to pay somebody to do it. It's just silly examples, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And I know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm putting a lot of personal things into this today, But so forgive me. But this is a serious thing he's talking about. And, and Paul says, deal with it kindly, deal with it delicately, but also understand that there are serious issues at hand here. And then as quickly as Paul mentions this in those verses between 6, verse 6 and verse 15, he brings this letter to a close. The last thing we hear is he says, admonish him as a brother. And then he says in verse 16, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. So Paul's final words in verses 16, 17, and 18 is simply Paul's word of exhortation and prayer for the brethren. When when Paul ends his letter, he often ends them in a spirit of prayer. And his prayer for the Thessalonians is right there. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. You know what really one of the ideas when you exhort someone and you admonish someone and you give them instructions or even like Paul did, gave them a command Prayer is the seal of that. In other words, now I'm praying that these things are so. I'm praying that God will give that peace, that God will do all that we've said. This is what we might refer to as Paul's conclusion and a benediction upon the brethren there of the Thessalonians. Notice he makes a very important distinction because Paul did not always do this, and this is going to lead me back to one thing we t- learned a couple weeks ago, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Paul indicates at the end of this epistle, I want you to know that I have written these letters, these words, with my own hand. Now there were times, especially when Paul had that thorn in the flesh, which many thought it was an eye condition, that he could not write with his Oh, he couldn't see. He couldn't write, and he would have a scribe write for him. Paul specifically says, "I want you to know I wrote this letter with mine own hand," which flies in. Remember what we learned that there was the, the the possibility when they received that false, forged letter. When we started the Second Thessalonians about the Lord had already come, and that they missed the they missed the Lord's second return, and because there was a forged letter that somebody had said, "This is Paul." That's why he ends the letter this way. He said, I want you to know this is me. I wrote this with my own hand and this is a token or a sign in every epistle. So I write. Paul always authenticated his letters by saying this was by me or by my scribe or by this. He always authenticated it. So that any false letters that may come in or have come in that were contrary to what he's writing would be disregarded. So Paul ends this letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Paul prays for the Thessalonians. And I think by way of application, we think about that we desire the same things for ourselves. This peace, this peace with God, this this peace of God that we have through, through Christ. That peace that we desire, that peace that Paul is desiring for them, We ought to pray for that peace in everything and in all things. Peace by all means, whatever it takes. There's nothing greater than to know you have God's presence with you. No matter where we are, no matter what we do, if God is with us, who can be against us? If God is present in our midst, then we always have that wonderful promise of His provision. Peace is enjoying the presence of God. Peace is enjoying the presence of God. His grace is all that we need to make us happy. His word is all that we need to be able to live our lives that are pleasing unto Him. I have found myself more recently than probably any time in my life having a really, really hard time finding peace and for me that's not been a real big struggle but it's been a struggle recently just being at peace i i think one of us i was saying it to one of the one somebody in our household i remember who it was that everything seems elevated everything seems more exaggerated and ramped up and even the simple things seem more of a bigger issue than that they really are. And I'm finding myself feeling more that way. And I, 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 I'm, I'm reading this this morning and I, I'm, you know, it, there's this fascinating thing that takes place when you know you have to preach to a group of people and you preach to the church that God's called you to and you're sitting there saying, okay, now, how am I gonna frame this and say this so they understand what it is to find God's peace. And I'm having this inner turmoil and struggle to say, wait a minute, I'm even having trouble with that. I'm having trouble with that phrase when he says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And I'm saying, there's why I don't have peace. I'm trying to find peace in everything else except for the presence of God. That's where the peace is at. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This grace is all we ever need to bring ourselves ourselves to a place to bring us complete complete satisfaction. We bring this exposition, it it almost seems like just a very, it just ends. But I think the the, the lesson here is found there in that verse number 13. He says, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't ever grow weary in doing what's right. Don't ever grow weary in knowing what God's Word says. Well-doing also includes not walking disorderly. Don't be lazy. Don't be idle. Seek peace at all times. Remember how to admonish those who don't. Remember how to deal with situations. But I was challenged by that. Be not weary in well-doing, and that's in every aspect of our life. Be not weary in well-doing. God himself has counted us worthy to be in his family, to be adopted into the family of God. And my prayer, and I certainly hope, that if any of us ever have to face situations like this, that we handle them biblically. Handle them according to the way the Bible says to handle them. And with that, we conclude 2 Thessalonians. All right, let's take our valley of vision and we'll conclude with page 312. 312, the grace of the cross, and then we'll close our time together singing the hymn on page 97, We Will Glorify. But 312 of the valley of vision, still in chapter number 7, the grace of the cross. O my Savior, I thank Thee from the depths of my being for Thy wondrous grace and love, in bearing my sin in Thine own body on the tree. May Thy cross be to me as the tree that sweetens my bitter maras, as the rod that blossoms with life and beauty, as the brazen serpent that calls forth the look of faith. By Thy cross crucify my every sin. Use it to increase my intimacy with Thyself. Make it the ground of all my comfort, the liveliness of all my duties, the sum of all thy gospel promises, the comfort of all my afflictions, the vigor of my love, thankfulness, graces, the very essence of my religion. And by it, give me that rest without rest, the rest of ceaseless praise. O my Lord and Savior, thou hast also appointed a cross for me to take up and carry, a cross before thou givest me a crown. Thou hast appointed it to be my portion, but self-love hates it. Carnal reason is unreconciled to it. Without the grace of patience, I cannot bear it. Walk with it, profit by it. O blessed cross, what mercies dost thou bring with thee? Thou art only esteemed hateful by my rebel will, heavy because I shirk thy load. Teach me, gracious Lord and Savior, that with my cross thou sendest promised grace, so that I may bear it patiently." that my cross is thy yoke which is easy and thy burden which is light.